we've been in the middle of this series that we're calling A Light in the Dark, and here's what I know. Let me get you caught up to speed. It has been a very important series for us to do. I can tell that from the feedback I'm getting from many of you, and so I appreciate your feedback, but it's been a series that we've been doing because a lot of people live their life feeling a darkness. And what we said was this. We said that as fall comes, it gets darker earlier, reminded of things about the darkness, that the darkness can be scary, that in the darkness, noises can be louder, shadows can seem bigger. And there are some of you this morning, right here, right now, that are experiencing darkness. You're experiencing what I would call maybe a dark night of the soul. I actually read a book called that, A Dark Night of the Soul, and maybe that's what you're experiencing. And so what happens when we go through darkness in our life, here's what happens. For many of us, what happens is we do one of two things. We either panic, right? And when we panic, we end up doing things we wouldn't otherwise do. And some of you, that's how you respond to the darkness you're feeling. Or we get paralyzed, And in the middle of our paralysis, we end up not doing things we normally would do. We all respond to the darkness. Some of you right now are feeling a darkness of some sort. Others of you are like, that's not me, I'm not feeling it. But chances are you know somebody that is, right? The chances are probably high that many of you know somebody that is experiencing a season of darkness. And I would simply suggest this. If you're sitting here and saying, I'm not in a dark space and I don't know anybody that is, I would encourage you to get to know the people you live beside, work beside, because the chances are really high that you're rubbing shoulders with somebody who is in a dark space. And so here's why we're doing the series. We just want to offer hope to people who are hurting. And some of you are hurting. And so we hope that this series, and I've heard from you, has been something that's provided healing for you and perspective for you. But we don't wanna just do that. We wanna provide help for people who are helping others. And I've heard from many of you, we hope that this series will put tools in your toolbox so that it might help you help others. The very first week, here's what we said. We said this, that it's important for us to be real about how we feel if we expect to heal. It's important for us to be real about how we feel in order for us to heal. And so that's why next week, here's what we're gonna do. Next week, we're just gonna interact with many of your questions. You've sent us questions, and so we're gonna interact with some of those questions. It's gonna be a little different format next week. I'm gonna invite some others to join me, and we're gonna just interact the best we can with some questions that y'all have asked and that we have kind of combined together so that we might provide hope and we might provide help to those of you in the room. And then November 2nd, is a date I'd love for you to circle. And you got a little thing in your program about it, November 2nd, we're doing this workshop. We actually have trained professional people coming. We're gonna do that right here, nine to 12, it's a Saturday morning. And so we're gonna offer workshops on on depression, anxiety, addiction, grief, all kinds of things. We wanna kind of help you navigate. If you haven't signed up, I just talked to a woman after first service. She said, I think I wanna sign up. I said, quit thinking and sign up is what I said to her. She said, well, I have somebody in my life, I said, sign up. Because this is just an opportunity to help you help them. That has been the goal of this series. This morning, I want to take the conversation a little further. 
I just want to talk about something this morning that I think is important and very relevant. Can we just say this? See if I can get an amen on this. Life can be hard. Can we just say that? Amen? Anybody? Yeah. In fact, isn't it true? Isn't it true in life? This little phrase is true that it is always something. Like there's always something. It's always something that happens. Isn't that true, right? Life's unpredictable. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's always something. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say that. It's always something, right? Yeah. And, and sometimes you don't know what a week's going to bring. You know what I know about you guys? Like I know a lot of things about you, but I know this. I know that you're here today and you are either in a hard time, you've just come through a hard time, or you're going to be heading into a hard time. Can I get an amen on that? Some of you are like, hey, welcome to church, by the way, right? Yeah, I'm glad I came, right? Some of you are like sitting there saying, Dan, can't you be more positive this morning? Yeah, I can. I am absolutely positive that some of you are in a hard time, going to be in a hard time or have come through a hard time because hard times are just part of life. Now, I want to help you out if you're in a hard time right now because chances are your hard time well, isn't quite like the guy I read about this week. I had to look it up and like, what? Is this really true? But it talked about a man who was working on his motorcycle. And I understand I say that funny. Uh, <laughs> somebody said I'm not really sure how I'm saying but uh, I say it somehow different than you, I think, but I don't know. But he's working on his motorcycle. Everybody say motorcycle. Motorcycle. Now you know how to say it, okay? But a man was working on his motorcycle on his patio and his wife was in the house in the kitchen. The man was racing the engine on his motorcycle and somehow that thing slipped into gear. The man still holding on to the handlebars was dragged through a glass patio door and the motorcycle dumped onto the floor inside the house. The wife, hearing the crash, ran into the dining room, found her husband laying on the floor, cut and bleeding. The motorcycle lying next to him and the patio door shattered. Wife ran, did what you think she'd do. She called an ambulance. And because they lived on a fairly large hill, the wife went down several flights of long steps to the street so she could wave down the ambulance and so they might know where to find her husband, right? After the ambulance arrived and transported the husband to the hospital, this is fascinating, the wife, she sat up the motorcycle and pushed it outside. But she saw that when the crash happened, that the motorcycle had spilled glass onto their floor. So she did what you think she'd do. She grabbed some paper towels and she blotted up all the gasoline. And then she threw the paper towels in the toilet. Don't get ahead of me now. Stay with me. The husband was treated at the hospital, released to come home. After arriving home, he saw the shattered patio door, damage done to his motorcycle. He became despondent. And he did what he always did when he was despondent. He went into the bathroom. He sat on the toilet and he began smoking a cigarette. Now you're way ahead of me, right? After he finished his cigarette, he flipped the cigarette into the toilet, (laughs) The wife who was in the kitchen heard a loud explosion and her husband screaming. She ran into the bathroom, found her husband laying on the floor. His trousers were on one side of the floor and he was on the other side of the floor screaming. The wife again ran to the phone, called for an ambulance. That same crew was dispatched and the wife met them at the street. Paramedics loaded up the husband on a stretcher, began carrying him down the steps to the street to the ambulance. This is unreal, right? While they were going down the stairs to the street, accompanied by the wife, one of the paramedics asked the wife, how did your husband burn himself? She told them the story. The paramedics started laughing so hard they tipped the stretcher, dumped the guy out. He broke his ankle. 
Can I get an amen? That's a bad day. That's a bad day. Truth is, some of y'all are having a bad day. I'm just trying to make, make it a little better for you. But everybody look here. For some of you, you know what your life is? A series of bad days. For some of you in the room, your, your life is a series of dark, bad days. And those bad days that you experience, and maybe they all kind of run together, is directly connected to an event or something, a trauma or some sort of pain in your life. That's what I want to talk to you about for a few brief moments this morning. I would start by writing this down somewhere on your notes. Sometimes the dark I feel is connected to a trauma I need to reveal. Sometimes the dark I feel is connected to a trauma I need to reveal. Now, let me say this before I get started. I don't feel like an expert in this whole thing. I just want to share with you from my experience, 26 years of working with people. I had the privilege, it was interesting how God worked this out Monday to sit and listen to a gal who is an expert in this um, and uh, was so fascinated by what she had to say. But I know this is real. Statistics say this, nearly 61% of American men and 51% of American women report at least, report is the key word, report at least one lifetime traumatic event. Trauma is the number one cause of death in people ages 1 to 45. That was interesting to me. It's the number four cause of death when you add all people of all ages. We spend about, listen close, 671, you ready? Billion, that's with a B billion dollars on trauma, help, and assistance. Twice as much as we spend on heart disease, three times as much as we spend on diabetes and cancer. It's a real deal. What in the world's trauma? Well, there's tons of definitions. Oxford Dictionary, a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. American Psychology Association, an emotional response to a terrible event like an accident, rape, Natural disaster. Here's what I know about trauma. Trauma has all kinds of symptoms. It shows up in all kinds of ways. And we have a slide that kind of shows many different ways. It has physical symptoms that show up. My stomach gets tied in knots, got headache, can't sleep, things like that. It has cognitive. I have trouble learning, right? I have trouble thinking. I have trouble taking tests. It has social symptoms that show up. Don't like being in a crowd. Can't really talk to somebody. It has emotional symptoms. Some of you are like, I feel these things, right? Maybe it's fear, anxiety, depression, whatever it might be. Kind of an, a mentality that's doom and gloom. Everything's awful. It's never going to get better. Trauma is real. Uh, one of the things fascinating in my reading, and when I was sitting in this thing, uh, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, listening to this lady, there are three different categories or types of trauma. This might be important to know, particularly if you're uh, working with somebody who's going through this, or, but, but there's a thing called acute trauma. That's simply an isolated event. So some of you maybe have been victims of a crime. You've survived a natural disaster. That's called acute trauma. Uh, Some of you maybe would understand chronic trauma. That's living in an ongoing situation. Uh, Some of you, maybe it's domestic violence. Maybe some of you have literally been through a war zone and kind of lived through war. And then there's this thing called complex uh, developmental trauma. And, And that is just simply trauma that's layered on top. And it's particularly something that we see in children. And particularly when that trauma is inflicted on them by somebody who would be considered their caretaker. What's interesting beyond that, and there's no slide for this, this is worth writing down if you want to understand this whole idea of of trauma. 
trauma is the Greek word, ready, for wound. It's the Greek word for wound. It's interesting, right? It's why trauma and deep pain is what is considered among many as a hidden wound. Makes sense, right? It's why some people want to kind of redo the verbiage instead of post-traumatic stress disorder, they want to go with something called post-traumatic stress injury. It's interesting, isn't it? Because literally the word trauma is this wound that was inflicted. Whatever the case, here's what I know. All of us at one time or another will be impacted by trauma, whether to us directly or somebody around us. And here's what I know for some of us in the room, in a room this size with this many people, for some of us, our natural instinct when it comes to something like this that happens in our life, many of us, our natural instinct is to bury it. It's literally to bury whatever happened, to deny it, to think somehow I'll just kind of sink that deep down into my life somewhere so that I can get over this. Here's what I want you to hear me say. Because I can see in your eyes, some of you are burying something. And when I bury it, it still goes with me. It's still part of my memory. When I bury something, it actually becomes still part of the fabric of who I am. That's why I want you to write this down. I want to explain it. This idea of sometimes the dark I feel is connected to a trauma I need to reveal is important because two things. First, understanding trauma might be the very thing that will explain others to me. It might help me understand my wife. It might help me understand my husband. It might help me understand the kids I have in class. It might help me understand my coworkers. By the way, listen close. Everybody's got a story. Everybody has a story. I, I think it was C.S. Lewis said, every person you encounter, they're fighting a battle, Right? Everybody does. And so understanding trauma can help explain others to me, but, but I want you to write this down. Understanding trauma and, and how we process it can explain me to me. I meet tons of people that don't understand why they react and respond the way they do. And understanding trauma can actually be instructive to me about me. Because what happens is we may not think about trauma. In fact, we may not even recall certain trauma right? But there's, there's something that happens that begins to explain why in the world do I have a disproportionate reaction to some things? And whatever those things are can, can be what we would call, everybody listen, triggers. Trauma triggers. And when all of a sudden one of those triggers happens, it makes me think whether it's in my life or someone else's life, it's like, why am I having this disproportionate response to that particular event? Let me tell you a couple real, real quick. I actually have met somebody who, who would just absolutely get uncomfortable, could not stand to be around a campfire. I love being around a good campfire, don't you? Love roasting marshmallows and all that kind of stuff. I love the smell. Can I get an amen on that? Love the smell of a good campfire. And I've been around people who just, just can't stand it. 
And this person just couldn't stand. It's like, well, how could you not like the smell of a good campfire, right? Like, how could you not enjoy? And then began pressing and began learning and began asking questions till all of a sudden you realize that person, that man was a little boy who was in a burning house trapped and couldn't figure out how to get out. And guess what that campfire was? It was a what? It was a trigger to his trauma. Let me give you another one. I've had gals come in my office and this is what they'll say. They'll say, Pastor Dan, at first you're like, what? They'll say, Pastor Dan, I can't stand it when guys wear such and such cologne. And you're like, wow, okay, let's try to work through that, right? And you begin asking questions. I can't stand the smell of it. I have to turn and walk the other way. And it's like, wow. And then you begin to press. And I've had gals in my office, and the reason they can't stand the smell of that cologne, guess what? is because that guy that did that thing to them was wearing what? That cologne. And guess what that is? It's a trauma trigger. You ever been around a guy? He's in a room full of kids and they're like, woo, man, they're having a blast. And all of a sudden you throw a bunch of balloons in there. Like, boom, hitting them around. Then all of a sudden, let's everybody break the balloons. Pop, 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 pop. And the guy's like, what? And he freaks out. Stop it. And you're like, dude, they're just being kids. All of a sudden, you find out that dude's been in a place where he's heard pop, 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 pop. And if he didn't duck, it was his life. And all of a sudden, those balloons became a what? A trauma trigger. See, the fact of the matter is, this is real. For some people, for some people, it's not this trigger that sets off this explosion. It just becomes an underlying reality of their life. Some sort of trauma happened and it just something just follows them through. It's like under the surface, but it begins to explain certain things like, why are they always cynical? Why are they always resentful? Why are they always bitter? Let me give you one. I have people come in my office and I'll have maybe a, a marriage come in and, and, and he'll say, and he'll say, you know something, she's always gotta be in control. Right, don't look at anybody, right? She's always been in control, right? And, and like, wow, okay, that's not good. What's going on there? And you begin asking questions, right? You begin pressing in and you begin finding out that all of a sudden when you go back here far enough, why in the world does she always gotta be in control and I can't ever, and I'm gonna, because there was a time in her life when she was what? Out of control. Someone else controlled her and she said, that will never happen to me again. You see, trauma is something that can trigger and it can begin to explain certain things in our life. And I love the fact that the Bible is real about walking through some of these hard times. You have your Bibles open, 2 Corinthians 1. Let me just show you a couple of things. And now we got somewhere very important to go that I hope is helpful today. 2 Corinthians 1. We don't want to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles I love that the Bible is real about this, that we experienced in the province of Asia. Look what it says. We were under great pressure, far above our ability to endure. Paul's like saying, I don't even know that we can make it through this, right? So that we despaired of life itself. It's like, I, I think Paul's like, I don't know, maybe we just better, we just die. Don't you love how real the Bible is? It's like raw. He says, we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. 
But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. I'm fascinated by these words. He has, he will, and he will continue. He has, he will, and he will continue. Say it out loud with me. He has, he will, and he will continue. There is hope in the middle of pain. There is hope in the middle of trauma. Everybody look here. And the hope there is in the middle of your pain and trauma is not, is not, is not buck up and get over it. But somehow the hope in the middle of your pain and trauma is that you can get through it. And I think this is something that is so important for us to grapple with for the remainder of our time. Because some of you are in pain and trauma. Maybe some of you are in a deep grief. I know some of you are. Maybe some of you know somebody that is. And what I hope to share with you for the next few minutes is something that will help you in the middle of that or that will help you help somebody that's in the middle of that. I want you to write it down this way. I can walk through the stages of my trauma and pain into the light of his hope. So important that we get this. I can walk through, it's not get over it. It's not get over it. It's not buck up. But I can walk through it. In fact, I got to walk through it. I got to walk through it, okay? In order for me to get to the hope and the healing, And it's important that I know that there's stages to trauma, grief, and pain. It's important that I understand that. Now, people who are way smarter than me, I've read a lot. I was at this seminar on, I think it was Tuesday, and I listened to a guy who's an expert. Many experts will identify stages of trauma, pain, and grief. I've read three. I've read others that give as many as six. I've landed on four. But here's what you need to hear me say. Everybody look here, so important. I've been talking to people all morning, done this once. I have a feeling we're gonna talk again after this. So important that you not do two things. It's important as we go through these stages, four stages, and then we're done, four stages. It's important that you not skip a stage. I'm gonna show you why in a minute. It's important that you not skip a stage. But listen, listen. It's equally important that you not get stuck in a stage. Okay? So we gotta understand the stages. Let's go stage one. Stage one is this. I gotta recognize that shock is expected. I I think this is freeing because shock, when something traumatic and deeply painful happens, when you get the news, shock is expected. Uh, I hear it put this way. You can hear it put a whole bunch, like uh, I heard somebody just recently say, I just feel like somebody punched me in the gut. You ever hear somebody say that? right? And so shock, when you first receive the news, when you first go through the event, shock is our response to trauma and pain. Here's what's interesting. This is just all interesting to me. We were made this way. We were made complex. We already looked at that, Psalm 139. We were made to have that reaction. We were made to have this fight flight or freeze response. You can read all kinds of things about this. 
all kinds of things that literally our brain, and I'm not gonna try to be an expert from the brain, but there's these three parts of our brain and they process these things, right? And literally they send signals to another part of our body, the parasympathetic nervous system. That sounded pretty cool. And that sends signals to our adrenal glands, adrenaline, to our inner organs. That's why our heart in these moments starts to like this. That's why our palms get sweaty. And the way the gal at this seminar this week said it was that literally inside of us in the middle of this moment, there is this cascade of chemicals that just releases. That's why in the middle of this, we feel this extreme stress. It's like a deer in headlights feeling. In, so the important thing for this morning is this. In this stage, I want you to know this. Somebody's like, I'm not going through this. Someone that you know either is or will. It's important that you know in this stage of trauma and pain, that's when I'm dazed, disoriented. Now listen, listen, listen. And it's in this stage when maybe the thought I ought to have is this, is that maybe I'm not, listen, I'm gonna say this sensitive. Maybe during this stage, I'm not the best person for me to be listening to. You tracking with me? I'm dazed and disoriented. And that's where God, I think, gives us like, hey, I wanna share something that might be helpful in Ecclesiastes 4. Look what he says. Two people are better than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone, they're in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And then he says this, two's good, three's better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. What's the point? I think the point is this. For some of you that are in this stage, you're in this stage, like literally I know some of you in this room are in this stage. You received the news. You've gone through the event. Here's what I would write down somewhere. I would write down this. In this stage is the time for me not to run from God and others, but to run to them. Or can I say it a different way? Maybe it was a better way. Allow them to run to me. Allow them to run to me. You see, sometimes when we're in this stage of trauma, we can push people away. We can isolate. And the fact of the matter is, this is the stage of our pain where we need to invite people in. We need people in our life. Now, listen close. For those of you in the room who are or will help somebody in this stage, I have some very important advice. I would say this, write it down somewhere. Don't underestimate the power of your presence. Everybody listen, I, just want, I, I want to tell you something. It's just, just practical and, and, and normal. Here's what I find. A lot of times when people are going through pain and trauma, people stay away. You know why? Because I don't know what to what? Say. So people stay away. You know why? Because when you show up, and the trauma just happened, it's awkward because you don't know what to say. Write this down somewhere in your notes. The best thing for me to do is to embrace awkward. Embrace awkward. I will tell you guys this, because I hear this all the time. You know, I stay away, but Dan, you go because you're the pastor and you'll know what to say. Everybody look here, I wanna be really honest with you. I don't know what to say. 
Guys, I just had this happen. Dear friends of mine, I got the call. I went and sat with her. I could not imagine what she was facing. I remember sitting there thinking, come on, dude, you're the pastor. I remember sitting there as she's crying, trying to process this. I put my arm around, I'm like, I, I'm like, God, what do I say? And I got this sense, God didn't say it in an audible voice. I got this sense, there's like nothing, just be there, just be there. In fact, can I say this? The priority at that point in time is to be there, not to correct their logic or their theology. Because in the middle of shock, they may say crazy things. They may say things that show that they're disoriented. And what they need is for you to be there, make sure they're safe, to be present. That's the priority. When they say something that's like, woo, it's like, you know, really, can we talk about that? That's not the time. You don't have to have all the answers. Don't underestimate the power of your presence. But there's a stage two. Stage two is simply this. I would write this down. Releasing my feelings is absolutely necessary. Trauma, grief, pain can cause a flood of feelings. Let me say this. We all release our feelings different. For some of us, they come like a tsunami. For others of us, like a roller coaster. Some of us, our feelings trickle. It is important Listen, it is important, there's no slide for this, that we not compare how each other expresses our feelings and that we not insist that you express them the way I do. That's not helpful. But what is important is that in this stage, we process our feelings. Why? I would write this down, because if I don't deal with my feelings, my feelings will deal with me. If I don't find a way to deal with my feelings, they're gonna figure out a way to deal with me. They pop back up. They begin to show up. I mean, I meet people in my office, they're married for 20 years and she can't figure out why in the world he won't ever share with me how he feels. And begin pressing this, And back here, he learned that's not what you do. And this fellow's got all these suppressed feelings. And he's like, that's just not what guys were taught to do. But it sure does explain why in the world he does this to her, right? You see, I gotta find some way to express my feelings. In this stage, there's all kinds of feelings that happen. Can I suggest two particular things that happen in this stage? You gotta write these down. First is this, sorrow. Sorrow. For those of you that are in this stage, I want to say this. I want to say it is okay to cry. That was for the guys in the room in particular. There are some gals that way. But can I just say it this way? It's probably good to cry. It's probably healthy to cry. I'm not, I'm not, some of you guys like, I'm not a big crier. Like I don't cry at the drop of a hat. It's just not the way I'm made. But it is good to have a good cry when you're in this stage. In fact, God made us this way. He gave us tears for a reason, right? And there's a profound, you ought to write this down, profound passage in scripture that blew my mind the more I read it. Look at what it says in Psalm 56, eight. God, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. For some of you right now, that bottle's pretty big, right? 
and you've recorded each one in your book. We have a God who pays attention in the middle of our sorrow. Not only that, he understands because when he showed up in flesh in the person of Jesus, look at what it says about Jesus. He was despised and rejected a man of, say the word out loud, a man of sorrows. Acquainted with deepest what? Say it out loud, grief. We turned our backs on him. Look the other way. He was despised and we seemed not to care. You see, that qualifies him in the middle of your trauma. Everybody look here to be your best buddy. Like, like this is what separates Christianity from other religions. The God that we talk to, the God that we worship is a God who gets it. And so here's the question. How do I, in stage two, release my feelings? Because it's necessary. And I'm inviting God and others into this. Two things that I would suggest. First is this. I would start by writing them out to God and then worship. Write them out to God. This is a practical suggestion, guys. Uh, you're saying, why would you do that? Book of Psalms is that? That's a, Book of Psalms is him literally writing them out to God. I love this, right? No, you don't, go backwards. You don't need to be there yet. Yep, go backwards. Go to the last slide. There we go. Write them out to God and then worship. Here's, here's the deal. This was something that helped me in the middle of my pain and trauma, right? Is to, to go grab a notebook, go grab a notebook, grab a pen, and literally begin talking to God through your pen into the notebook. You say, what do I say? Exactly what's there. Well, I don't know if I should talk to God that way. He already knows. See, that's the thing. Like he already knows what's going on in there. And so I would begin, he is okay. In fact, I would say it this way. It's better for us to be real with God because that's where intimacy with God is experienced. Now Psalm 6, look at what it says. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer from the end of the earth. This is the Psalm saying, I call to you and my heart is faint. He's like, I'm just gonna cry out to you. I'm gonna lay it out there. In fact, he wrote it down. I'm so glad he did. That's what the book of Psalm is. It is literally him laying out his cry, laying out his prayer. And then he says this, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. What's he saying? He said, I'm gonna just unload on this piece of paper. I'm gonna just unload, say, God, here's where I'm at. I feel and I don't, I'm thinking and what if and all this stuff and I'm crying. And then when you read the book of Psalms, the pattern is this, he laments and then he worships. But you, God, you are the ground that's higher than me. I need, worship is me, I need to get up there. I need to somehow get there. I'm gonna tell you something about worship you need to hear. Worship is really worship when I don't feel like worshiping. Come on. It's, it's a piece of cake. We have an incredible worship pastor, an incredible band, amen? Woo! I mean, they're up here like singing our favorite songs, like Aiden's up here dancing, Garrett's doing the thing over here and everybody's doing the thing and we're hands up because life is awesome. I'm loving it. This song is great. Whoa, man. It's a far different, I won't ever dance like that again, I promise. But it, <laughs> I'm sorry, Sammy. It is a far different thing to worship 
when you're bawling your eyes out and you're not feeling what you wished you were feeling. Come on. I said it this way a few weeks ago when I told about my friend. It's almost this defiant declaration. God, you are. Because right now it feels like. The second thing I would say about releasing your feelings is this, is I got to talk them out with a friend. There's something about someone else that you're able to be gut level honest with. Talk them out with a friend. Proverbs 17, 17 says a friend loves at all times. They don't just show up when it's good times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. What, what I would say is this, is there's this power that happens when I can talk it out with someone else, right? It builds this intimacy. I remember, for those of you who are helping people in this stage, here's what I would say. There is power in your presence and there is power in you letting them cry. You ever been with somebody when you're just unlit, like, don't cry, I need to cry, Right? I remember two o'clock in the morning, state of Indiana, where I pastored before here, being with a fellow that I had become friends with who had gone through trauma. He was releasing his feelings. He calls me at two in the morning and he says, will you take a walk with me? That was odd. By the time it ended, it was like two, 2.30 in the morning. We were in the middle of a cemetery. We walked through the town in the middle of a cemetery in front of the tombstone where his brother was buried. And he was crying. And I'm like, we're going to get arrested. I just put my arm around him. I said, just let her go, buddy. Gone through trauma. He needed to release his feelings. He began to talk it out with a friend. You know, what happens sometimes is our sorrow sometimes wafts into struggle. I want you to write this down. I want to talk to you real frankly about this. This is the stage where I get mad at the person or the people or maybe even mad at God. Now we're being honest, right? This is the stage of trauma and grief where I start asking the question, why? You ever been there? Why? In fact, can I just tell you guys something? That when I come in the room, Pastor Dan comes in the room, so I want to give you a heads up in case I ever walk in the room. And people start asking the question why. And then they look at me and say, oh, everybody gets real religious when pastors walk in, right? Like, oh, Pastor Dan, I know I'm not supposed to ask why. Like they apologize to me. I'm gonna take that off the table right now. Because somewhere along the way, we've been told that asking the question why is bad and wrong. And I don't think it is. You're saying why? Well, the Bible is full of it. Jeremiah, he was a pastor and a prophet. Jeremiah 20, verse 18, the very first word he says is what? Say it out loud, nice and loud. Why? God, why? Did I ever come out of the womb? Like, why was I born? Just to see trouble and sorrow? To end my days in shame? He had no idea when he wrote this, like, hey, they're gonna be reading my words thousands of years later. He's just saying, why? Habakkuk. Another Old Testament process. How long, Lord, must I call for help? Doesn't feel like you're listening or cry out violence. You, you don't save. And then he says what? Verse three, he says, what's the word? Why? Do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Psalms is full of them. Psalm 10.1 says, why? 
Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And then look at this, this may surprise you. Jesus on the cross. Matthew 27, 46, about three in the afternoon, he cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means my God, my God, what's the word? Why have you forsaken me? Listen, let me just say it this way. If I was sitting just talking to you, why is not the problem? In fact, if you ask why, it would tell me, just, it would tell me something important that you're wrestling. You're wrestling with a situation And the question of why is natural. And sometimes we have this unnecessary guilt that comes, I shouldn't be asking why. It's like, the Bible's full of it. Why? But here's the key. The key is this, that when I'm asking why and wrestling with God, that I wrestle into God, not away from God. That I wrestle with him and into God, that when I ask the question why, it literally gives me a chance to wrestle with God in the middle of my struggle. God's okay with that. God is more than okay with that. For those of you who are helping people in this stage, can I say this? Don't be afraid of their wrestling. Don't be afraid when they wrestle with God. Can I say it this way? I would rather somebody wrestle with God than dismiss God. I'd rather somebody wrestles with God than just dismiss him in the middle of their pain and their trauma. I bury these things, they're gonna end up burying me. Now, these last two I gotta race through, but I wanna, I wanna say this, important that I not skip this step. Some of you have skipped this step. It's important that you not skip this step and you've buried your pain. And if you don't deal with it, it will and maybe is dealing with you. But everybody look here. It's important equally, not just that I don't skip this step, you ready? But that I don't get stuck in this stage. And that's where stage three is very important. I want you to write it this way. Stage three is this. It's essential that I reorient my thinking. That I reorient my thinking. He's saying, Dan, how does that happen? I would write this little phrase down. I need to start replacing instead of ruminating. Ruminating is this psychology term. You can read their books and kind of hear what they have to say about it. I'm not like smart enough to roll with that. And so the best way for me to explain what ruminating is, is to tell you about a cow. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, amen. That's more our style, right? You know what a cow does? They chew their food, they swallow their food, and guess what they do? Yeah, they vomit it back up, and guess what they do? They chew it again. Swallow it again. Yeah, ooh, somebody said, if you didn't know that. And guess what they do? They burp it back up and chew it again. That is the best description. I forget how many times they do it, but that's what ruminating is. And when I begin to do that over and over and over again, that is what ruminating in my soul looks like. Whatever this is, I just continue to chew it up, swallow it, vomit it, and can we just say this without getting too gross that every time I vomit it back up is probably less palatable. Can I get an amen on that? Probably is. And at some stage, I gotta begin replacing instead of ruminating. I gotta begin replacing and renewing and bringing a different way to think into a way that I have developed thinking. Sometimes our trauma, this gal this last week, she fascinated me. She said, sometimes our trauma causes us. Some of you grew up childhood trauma. It causes us to lay sidewalks in our brain. 
And those sidewalks are what we just learned to walk on. And that's how we think. What needs to happen eventually is that I begin to replace the sidewalks in my brain and begin to replace the way I think. For some of us, this was me. For some of us, the way we think has to do with the fact that somebody has done something to hurt us, to abuse us, or some sort of injustice towards us. So what happens is it creates this sidewalk. That was me. I, some of my darkest moments had to do with injustice in my life. And so I chewed it, I swallowed it, I would vomit it, literally back up in my brain. I would chew it. And every time I did that, it became less and less palatable until eventually it drove me into a deep, dark place, a deep, dark depression where I wanted nothing to do with being a pastor. Nothing. I would have rather been anything at that moment than be a pastor. So I went to a guy, a friend, and he began to help me lay a new sidewalk in my mind. And that sidewalk simply was this. He began to challenge me. Dan, allow God to make the wrongs in your life right. And he showed me a passage. And this passage is literally why I'm standing here in front of you. 1 Peter 1 says, For God called you, Dan, to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you, Dan. Dan, he is your example. And Dan, you must follow in his steps. He never sinned. He never deceived anyone. He didn't retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. Can I just say that that is not where I was at? (laughs) And this phrase is literally the phrase that began to recreate a sidewalk in my brain. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. I remember the guy looking across the desk at me and he says, Dan, all you can think about is justice. And he says, when you read that, let me ask you a question. Who do you think has a better shot of executing justice in this situation you or God can I be real I had to think for a minute hurt was deep I had to think for a minute but then I began laying a new sidewalk in my brain because I knew the answer you see for some of you you have had injustice, you, and, and, and somehow you've been ruminating and ruminating, and this stage is like, I'm gonna begin laying a new sidewalk. For others of you, it's simply asking God to give me a different perspective. I love the fact that the same God we wrestle with is the same God who invites us and places us on his shoulders. You, you ever think about that? I, my, my dad, when I was younger, I used to wrestle with my dad. Amen. He let me wrestle. He could beat me every time, right? But he'd let me wrestle with him. But that same dad, when we're in an amusement park, right? I was a little fry and we're walking around. I could say, how far do we have to go? Where's the next? When he put me up here, guess what it gave me? It gave me what? 
perspective. All of a sudden, I could see what I couldn't see down here. That's what God does. The God we wrestle with in stage two is the same God in stage three that says, hey, can I show you this? Can I give you new perspective that you aren't who they say you are, you are who I say you are? Can I give you new perspective that you don't gotta walk around in your guilt forever, but you can encase yourself with my forgiveness and my grace? Can I give you a new perspective that you think nobody's with you, but I'm here with you? Can I give you a new perspective that if it ain't good, if it ain't good now, I ain't done because this is not the end? Isn't that incredible? You see, he invites us up on his shoulders. Why? Because he's a good God. He's our father. And all of a sudden, that leads to stage four where we've got to end today. Where we've got to end today. It's a big topic. I apologize. But just stay with me for the next few minutes and then we're done. Stage four, I think, is the healing stage. And that's where I begin to repurpose my pain because repurposing my pain is healing. I've got to say a word of caution just because there's so many people in the room and I almost didn't, I gotta say this word of caution. I dare not run to stage four without going through stage two and three. You know why? Two reasons. I've seen it happen. I'll miss something profound if I don't go through the stages. Intimacy with God is born in these stages. But here's the deal. I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen. If I run to stage four, I'll hurt other people. I went through this hard time, now I'm here to help people. And it's like, you probably need to process your pain. And then you need to reorient your thinking. And then eventually, guess what? God, God is able to repurpose your pain. I would write down this underneath that. I need to make pain my school, not my prison. Some of you are young and they're like, aren't they the same thing, right? <laughs> they're not, Okay. You see, here's all I want you to know is that my pain can be a prison that confines me. And if it confines me, I can see in your eyes, if it confines me, guess what it's gonna do? It's gonna define me. I'll always be a victim of, it will always be the reason I, or it can be a school that teaches me. And if it's a school that teaches me, it can refine me. I just want to be real for a moment. Some of you, if you're in stage two or three, you're not going to feel what I'm saying. I'm okay with it. I want to talk to you down here. For 26 years, I've been a pastor. When I talk to people, hey, tell me about the things in life that have made you who you are. Guess what they normally talk to me about? The tough things that they survived, the hurts that they've been through. That's what they usually talk to me about. Isn't that interesting? They usually tell me, hey, that's where this got rubbed into me. I will tell you that I am a product of a lot of things, not the least of which is some of the hardest things I've ever walked through. I would not be the man I am today had I not walked through things that I never would choose to walk through. I never would choose them. Don't hear me sugarcoat this. If you say, could you go back and and choose that? I wouldn't. But I will tell you, I would not be who I am had I not walked through them. Romans says this, it says, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I all of a sudden make pain my school, not my prison, but there's something else that's really, really important for you to see. I want you to write it down this way. It not only begins to rub things into me, but it begins to become a way for me to give myself away. 
I would say it this way, that my most painful moments can become my most powerful ministry. My most powerful opportunity to help others sometimes can come out of my most painful moments. The passage you have opened in your laps, and it's where we're ending today, at the very beginning of it, First, Second Corinthians chapter 1 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we what, can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Everybody look here. Then I gotta be done. It's why here at Grace, this is just a example, the people who lead grief share, the people who lead grief share, I've been with them when they buried two of their children. And they can sit in a room and look at people and it's not like, let's go through this curriculum. And it's been 10 years later. 10 years later. That's why the people that sit in the room called divorce care, they've been through the dark, hard journey of divorce. That's why the people that sit in recovery in Christ can sit and look at each other and the people who lead it, guess, guess what? They've been through the dark, hard journey of addiction into recovery. That's why the people who lead families facing addiction have such a ministry. You know why? Because they've lived with somebody who has literally been strangled and struggling with addiction. They can look across the table. I don't know what you're facing. But your most painful moments can become your most powerful ministry. Some of you in the room right now, you're in stage one. Can I just say this? In st- and that's where you're at. It's fresh. Now's the time not to run from God and others, but to at least allow them to run to you. If you're one of the people that are running to those people, don't go in with all the answers. Don't try to correct their theology. That's not helpful. Some of you have been in that stage and you're going into stage two. And can I just suggest this, that if you don't release and deal with your feelings, they will end up dealing with you. Can I encourage you to find healthy ways in the presence of God just to unload, just to vent. He keeps a jar. He's got a jar and it says, Dan Gregory's tears. And can I encourage you to find somebody you can invite into that? Don't invite tens and 15 and 100. Quit putting it on Facebook. That's not that helpful. Can I encourage you to find a brother who's born for adversity, a friend who sticks with you at all times? And if you're that friend, can I encourage you this way? Let them cry, let them struggle. Even let them wrestle. Some of you have been in stage two and you're stuck there. You just keep chewing it. It never gets palatable. You just keep chewing it and wondering. You keep chewing it. You're like, Dan, how long? I don't know. I think it's different for everybody. But eventually I got to walk through. I got to grab God's hand and my trusted friend walk through and let God start to lay different sidewalks for me. 
because I got to reorient my thinking and I got to let him throw me on his shoulders and give me perspective and I got to let him deal with the stuff that I can't control because if I do that, he'll leave me over here to stage four someday, not today maybe, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next year, maybe someday you're going to see how that painful moment became your most powerful opportunity to minister to somebody else. And you're going to sit across the table with somebody else. You're like, I remember how that felt. So God, here we are, a group of people. And life is real. And some of us are in pain. And some of you, I just want to pray for you right now in pain. And I'm asking God, wrap your arms around them. Send people to them. Some of you are in stage two of this. And I'm asking God for just a a profound honesty in your presence that would draw them into a more intimate understanding of who you are in the middle of their hurt. I'm asking for friendships in this church that would be born for times of adversity, not just times of celebration. God, some have been stuck in stage two and I'm asking that you'd begin relaying new sidewalk in their mind that you would throw them on your shoulders and let them see a different perspective. And then, God, there are some that those sidewalks are being laid. I pray that you would show them who those sidewalks are leading to, that they might be able to help. I love you. I love the fact you're real about stuff that we feel. And I love the fact that you are the secret to healing in the middle of what we're feeling. I pray this in Jesus' name.